you, Josh and Bryce and Emma. It's good to be back here in Lancaster, my hometown. You know, I always uh, think of uh, Becky Herr. Becky Herr, who is at Landis Homes and unable to be with us whenever I hear that story, because she has a painting of the Emmaus Road, the three on the road. And we always talk about it together. Sometimes we'll read that story. And she says that it speaks to her of her yearning, her longing to be with Jesus in glory. So, Nancy, let's be sure to remember her in our prayers later this morning. Let's pray now together. Dear God, we gather this morning in deep gratitude for the scripture story that we have heard, in deep gratitude for the table of fellowship before us. And we thank you that you meet us in your word and at the table. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to receive you this morning our hearts, and our minds as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So two years ago, when On the Way was chosen as the theme for our Mennonite convention in Kansas City, who but the Holy Spirit could ever have imagined how much this theme would speak to us how that story would shape the story that we were experiencing. Because as we've reflected on the Emmaus story in our worship services and in the delegate sessions, we could feel this story naming the journey that we were on. And also making us alert, on the lookout, for how... Jesus was going to surprise us with his presence yet again. So I'd like to reflect with you this morning on this Emmaus story and to weave in some stories along the way from our gathering, our recent gathering in Kansas City. In Luke 24, it's Resurrection Day, a day filled with great uncertainty and suspense. It begins with Mary Magdalene bringing the astonishing news, unbelievable news, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Some of his followers run over to the empty tomb to see if it's true. Others are just tired of being disappointed and say that all of this is nothing but an idle tale. And it's in this context that our two friends today leave Jerusalem and start heading toward Emmaus, a three hours journey from Jerusalem. Now most of the paintings about this story show two men here walking, and then eventually Jesus joining them. But interestingly, Cleopas's companion may actually be his wife, one of the Marys at the cross 
who is said to be married to Clopas in John 19.25. Cleopas, Clopas. Sometimes in the New Testament, we have a variety of spellings of people's names. One of the exciting things about a convention is the way that all of the participants from every corner of our nation converge from every direction. By bike, some people biked, by plane, by car and bus. Danette and Jasmine and I drove out to Chicago and then I jumped on a flight from Chicago to Kansas City and lo and behold, right in my road to my left was, was Keith Weaver, our Lancaster Conference moderator. And then right in front of me was Audrey Roth Crable, Glenn and Annabelle's daughter. So we too were on a journey, all heading toward a common destination. Walking toward Emmaus, the risen Jesus suddenly joins our two travel travelers and begins to interpret all the things about him in Scripture, from Moses all the way through the prophets. He opens their minds to understand where God's salvation story in the Bible has been heading all along. We need that help. As Patty Shelley preached in one of our services one morning, we can't really understand the Bible without Jesus. But then she said something equally important. She said we can't really understand Jesus without the Bible, without Moses and the law and the prophets. And notice in our story today that all of this new understanding, this breaking open of people's minds in their journey happens while they are walking. Walking together. Isn't that interesting? In Kansas City, one of the preachers drew special attention to John Paul Lederach's book, Reconcile. Now, Bruce is going to love this. Bruce, where are you? Because this is the book that our church gave to all of our mission workers this last Christmas, right? In this book, and I highly recommend it to you, Lederach says what a beautiful model Jesus gives us of accompaniment and coming alongside the story and the struggle of his friends. Lederach says walking together physically, I'm not talking symbolically, walking together unleashes something in the body and in the mind and in the heart. Have you ever experienced that? So much so that Lederach often asked people to literally go out on a walk together when they're trying to understand each other or trying to sort through a difficult conflict. Being shoulder to shoulder, he says, and facing a common direction is often helpful 
for seeing things in a new way. So consider inviting your housemate or your spouse or a colleague or maybe even your pastor out on a walk when you need to talk about something difficult the next time. Head out to a park and take a walk together. I don't know why, but I'm imagining five people in this church inviting me out on a walk this coming week. (laughs) Bring it on. In the Emmaus story, we find our two friends still deeply mourning the death of their beloved teacher. The reality of resurrection has not entered their consciousness in any full way. They'd hoped that Jesus was the long-expected Messiah who would finally throw off the brutal Roman Empire and usher in God's kingdom of justice and love and shalom. But instead of throwing off their oppressors, Jesus is killed by them. And we have to wonder if maybe this has something to do with why these two travelers, followers of Jesus, are leaving Jerusalem now. Are they perhaps also leaving discipleship as well? Throwing in the towel? If you've read anything about Kansas City, anybody read anything about Kansas City? You know that there were times of deep sadness and pain there as well. Two Thursdays ago was especially wrenching. As we processed and voted on two resolutions about the place of our gay and lesbian siblings in the church. There were people weeping as the results of each of those votes was announced. For some, the pain came after the first vote in seeing our church now tolerating, forbearing, with what they believe to be sin. For others, the pain came after the second vote in seeing the church reaffirm that marriage is only for a man and a woman and forbidding pastors to perform or to bless same-sex weddings. When we adjourned After that long and exhausting day, a group of 50 pink minnows, gay people of faith and their allies, stood silently in protest in five long rows at the end of the hallway that was the only way to leave the delegate hall. Some of them were crying. Some had duct tape pasted over their mouths to symbolize that no gay person was ever invited to speak about how these votes would impact them. We talked for a whole day 
but not a single gay person was invited to speak. In walking, I came out of the hall last. I was sitting in my chair, shell-shocked by the day. And when I came out, the whole assembly had left. And I will never forget walking alone the 50 feet toward this group facing me. And how heartrending it was then to walk slowly past through them. In their silent protest, they were saying, we're not just an issue, an issue. We are your sons and daughters, nephews and nieces, aunts and uncles, all part of your family of faith. When Jesus arrives at Emmaus, as the setting sun is painting the stone landscape with a wash of amber and scarlet and crimson, his two friends invite him to join them for supper. It's a journey, you see, that leads to a table. And at that table, Jesus takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and shares it. And suddenly their eyes are opened. What was it about that blessing and breaking? Surely it was that he had done that so many times with them before. And after Jesus vanishes, they race back to Jerusalem in the dark and tell everyone that Jesus has been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. If you ask any of the 800 delegates at Kansas City, almost to a person they'll tell you the most important experience at that assembly was what we experienced at our tables. Each of us was assigned to sit at the same table the whole time. And there were a hundred of these round tables spread out through the hall. As you may have seen in the picture that I emailed you on Friday, maybe you saw the picture of Lisa King's table, table number 72. And there was careful effort to give age and gender and geographical and racial diversity to each gathering, each table. I counted up the hours that we spent together. Twenty. We sat together for twenty hours, listening and sharing and praying together. And by the end, a sense of being family, being kin, had formed at our table with Brenda and Elizabeth and Lynn and Colin and Fred, David and Randy. You know, in Matthew 18, Jesus promises that whenever two or three gather to do the hard work of reconciliation, the hard work of listening to each other, that's when He'll be especially present with us. We often say, oh, we're two or three gathered, Jesus is with us, which is true. 
But His promise happens in the context of especially our doing this hard work. And as our group in Kansas City shared our stories, we began to sense the deep and sincere faith of each person. We made sure that everyone got the talking stone. This isn't something we threw at each other. Although it did land on my smartphone once. But when you had this talking stone, everybody listened to you. And nobody was allowed to interrupt. It was just one way that our Peace Church was actually learning how to become a Peace Church. We also began leaning in rather than leaning away toward those with whom we disagreed. And because we had prayed with each other before each and every vote, we couldn't imagine, dream of clapping for a vote outcome that we thought was great. Because we knew that right at our table, it was going to grieve a couple people at least. We felt the presence of Jesus at our table in a special way, waking us up from our dream of separation from each other. God's kingdom, God's kingdom was coming among us on earth as in heaven. So just for today, when we pray the Lord's Prayer a little bit later, let us pray, your kingdom, our sense of being family, God's family together, may that reality come. At a worship service in Kansas City, one of the preachers asked a question I won't forget. What if conflict in the church isn't some terrible sin, but actually the precious opportunity for us to deepen our relationships with one another? Have you ever thought about conflict in that way? The precious opportunity to draw nearer to one another, to understand each other more deeply. I confess that was a pretty fresh idea for me. What can our congregation learn from the Emmaus and Kansas City stories? The importance of walking together and hearing one another's stories. That when we disagree, we need to lean in toward each other rather than away. This takes a lot of time and energy, but bears much fruit. And that Jesus meets us in a special way when we gather at tables, nourishing us with his grace and knitting us together as family. We're now going to sing together both verses of Be Present at our 
table, Lord. And you know, in this song as well, we learn that we are on a journey that ends at a table. Feasting in paradise with God. And friends, if we're going to all be sharing this table for all of eternity together, shouldn't this transform how we all get there together? Amen.